but he had fancied her in love with him. That evidently must have been his dependence, and after raving a little about the seeming incongruity of gentle manners and a conceited head, Emma was obliged, in common honesty, to stop and admit that her own behaviour to him had been so complacent and obliging, so full of courtesy and attention, as, supposing her real motive unperceived, might warrant a man of ordinary observation and delicacy, like Mr. Elton, in fancying himself a very decided favourite. Welcome back to Another World Audiobook. So happy to have you here as always as we carry on with the story of Emma. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I've been listening to a lot of stuff recently about podcasting and just how to be a better podcast host. And one of the things that I don't do often enough is to ask you guys, what do you want to hear? You're my audience. This is, I do this for you. So if you guys have any suggestions or ideas or ways to uh, improve the podcast or make your listening experience better, I want to hear from you. I want this podcast to be something that you really really enjoy so please let me know what you'd love to hear more of less of uh in addition to whatever it is just get in touch with me uh again that's anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com it's the easiest way to get in touch with me so anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com Today, we're exploring two chapters of Emma, so a little bit of a bigger episode for you. I hope you enjoy it. If you are enjoying this, please, please, please tell other people about the podcast. That is the pretty much the only way the podcasts grow, from what I've heard. So, uh, yeah, go out and spread the word. Uh, you have to know somebody who enjoys audiobooks as much as you do, some fellow audiobook nerd, or just post about it on social media, and your audiobook nerds will find you. All right, now without further ado, let's get into chapters 16 and chapter 17 of Emma. Chapter 16 The hair was curled, the maid sent away, and Emma sat down to think and be miserable. It was a wretched business indeed, such an overthrow of everything she had wished for, such a development of everything most unwelcome, such a blow for Harriet. That was the worst of all. Every part of it brought pain and humiliation of some sort or other, but compared with the evil to Harriet, all was light and she would gladly have submitted to feel yet more mistaken, more in error, more disgraced by misjudgment, than she actually was, could the effects of her blunders have been confined to herself. "'If I had not persuaded Harriet into liking the man, I could have borne anything. He might have doubled his presumption to me. But poor Harriet!' How she could have been so deceived! He protested that he had never thought seriously of Harriet. Never!' She looked back as well as she could, but it was all confusion. She had taken up the idea, she supposed, and made everything bend to it. His manners, however, must have been unmarked, wavering, dubious, or she could not have been so misled. The picture! How eager he had been about the picture, and the charade, and in hundred other circumstances! How clearly they had seemed to point at Harriet! To be sure, the charade, with its ready wit— but then the soft eyes. In fact, it suited neither. It was a jumble without taste or truth. Who could have seen through such thick-headed nonsense? Certainly, she had often, especially of late, thought his manners to herself unnecessarily gallant, but it had passed as his way, as a mere error of judgment, of knowledge, of taste, as one proof among others that he had not always lived in the best society— that with all the gentleness of his address, true elegance was sometimes wanting. But till this very day, she had never, for an instant, suspected it to mean anything but a grateful respect to her as Harriet's friend. 
To Mr. John Knightley was she indebted for her first idea on the subject, for the first start of its possibility. There was no denying that those brothers had penetration. She remembered what Mr. Knightley had once said to her about Mr. Elton, the caution he had given, the conviction he had professed that Mr. Elton would never marry indiscreetly, and blushed to think how much truer a knowledge of his character had been there shown than any she had reached herself. It was dreadfully mortifying, but Mr. Elton was proving himself, in many respects, the very reverse of what she had meant and believed him, proud, assuming, conceited, very full of his own claims, and little concerned about the feelings of others. Contrary to the usual course of things, Mr. Elton's wanting to pay his addresses to her had sunk him in her opinion. His professions and his proposals did him no service. She thought nothing of his attachment, and was insulted by his hopes. He wanted to marry well, and having the arrogance to raise his eyes to her, pretended to be in love. But she was perfectly easy as to his not suffering any disappointment that need be cared for. There had been no real affection either in his language or manners. Sighs and fine words had been given in abundance, but she could hardly devise any set of expressions or fancy any tone of voice less allied with real love. She need not trouble herself to pity him. He only wanted to aggrandize and enrich himself. And if Miss Woodhouse of Hartfield, the heiress of thirty thousand pounds, were not quite so easily obtained as he had fancied, he would soon try for Miss Somebody Else with twenty or with ten. But that he should talk of encouragement, should consider her as aware of his views, accepting his attentions, meaning, in short, to marry him, should suppose himself her equal in connection or mind, look down upon her friend, so well understanding the gradations of rank below him, and be so blind to what rose above as to fancy himself shewing no presumption in addressing her. It was most provoking. Perhaps it was not fair to expect him to feel how very much he was her inferior in talent and all the elegancies of mind. The very want of such equality must prevent his perception of it. But he must know that in fortune and consequence she was greatly his superior. He must know that the Woodhouses had been settled for several generations at Hartfield, the younger branch of a very ancient family, and that the Eltons were nobody. The landed property of Hartfield certainly was inconsiderable, being but a sort of notch in the Donwell Abbey estate, to which all the rest of Highbury belonged, but this fortune, from other sources, was such as to make them scarcely secondary to Donwell Abbey itself, and every other kind of consequence, and the consideration of the neighbourhood which Mr. Elton had first entered not two years ago, to make his way as he could, without any alliances but in trade, or anything to recommend him to notice but his situation and his civility. But he had fancied her in love with him. That evidently must have been his dependence, and after raving a little about the seeming incongruity of gentle manners and a conceited head— Emma was obliged, in common honesty, to stop and admit that her own behaviour to him had been so complacent and obliging, so full of courtesy and attention, as, supposing her real motive unperceived, might warrant a man of ordinary observation and delicacy, like Mr. Elton, in fancying himself a very decided favourite. If she had so misinterpreted his feeling— she had little right to wonder that he, with self-interest to blind him, should have mistaken hers. 
The first error, and the worst, lay at her door. It was foolish, it was wrong, to take so active a part in bringing any two people together. It was adventuring too far, assuming too much, making light of what ought to be serious, a trick of what ought to be simple. She was quite concerned and ashamed, and resolved to do such things no more. "'Here have I,' said she, "'actually talked poor Harriet into being very much attached to this man. "'She might never have thought of him but for me, "'and certainly never would have thought of him with hope "'if I had not assured her of his attachment, "'for she is as modest and humble as I used to think him. "'Oh, that I had been satisfied with persuading her not to accept young Martin. "'There I was quite right. "'That was well done of me.' But there I should have stopped, and left the rest time and chance. I was introducing her into good company, and giving her the opportunity of pleasing someone worth having. I ought not to have attempted more. But now, poor girl, her peace is cut up for some time. I have been but half a friend to her, and if she were not to feel this disappointment so very much, I am sure I have not an idea of anybody else who could be at all desirable for her.' "'William Cox? Oh, no, I would not endure William Cox, a pert young lawyer.' She stopped to blush and laugh at her own relapse, and then resumed a more serious, more dispiriting cogitation upon what had been, and might be, and must be. The distressing explanation she had to make to Harriet, and all that poor Harriet would be suffering, with the awkwardness of future meetings, the difficulties of continuing or discontinuing the acquaintance— of subduing feelings, concealing resentment, and avoiding eclat, were enough to occupy her in most unmirthful reflections some time longer, and she went to bed at last with nothing settled but the conviction of her having blundered most dreadfully. To youth and natural cheerfulness like Emma's, though under temporary gloom at night, the return of day will hardly fail to bring return of spirits. The youth and cheerfulness of morning are in happy analogy and of powerful operation, and if the distress be not poignant enough to keep the eyes unclosed, they will be sure to open to sensations of softened pain and brighter hope. Emma got up on the morrow more disposed for comfort than she had gone to bed, more ready to see alleviations of the evil before her and to depend on getting tolerably out of it. It was a great consolation that Mr. Elton should not be really in love with her, also particularly amiable as to make it shocking to disappoint him, that Harriet's nature should not be of that superior sort in which the feelings are most acute and retentive, and that there could be no necessity for anybody's knowing what had passed except the three principles, and especially for her father's being given a moment's uneasiness about it. These were very cleansing thoughts, and the sight of a great deal of snow on the ground did her further service, for anything was welcome that might justify their all three being quite asunder at present. The weather was most favourable for her. Though Christmas Day, she could not go to church. Mr. Woodhouse would have been miserable had his daughter attempted it, and she was therefore safe from either exciting or receiving unpleasant and most unsuitable ideas. The ground covered with snow, and the atmosphere in that unsettled state between frost and thaw, which is, of all others, the most unfriendly for exercise, every morning beginning in rain or snow, and every evening setting in to freeze. She was, for many days, a most honourable prisoner. No intercourse with Harriet possible but by note, 
No church for her on Sunday any more than on Christmas Day, and no need to find excuses for Mr. Elton's absenting himself. It was weather which might fairly confine everybody at home, and though she hoped and believed him to be really taking comfort in some society or other, it was very pleasant to have her father so well satisfied with his being all alone in his own house, too wise to stir out, and to hear him say to Mr. Knightley, whom no weather could keep entirely from them, "'Ah, Mr. Knightley, why do you not stay at home like poor Mr. Elton?' These days of confinement would have been, but for her private perplexities, remarkably comfortable, as such seclusion exactly suited her brother, whose feelings must always be of great importance to his companions, and he had besides so thoroughly cleared off his ill-humour at Randall's, that his amiableness never failed him during the rest of his stay at Hartfield. He was always agreeable and obliging, and speaking pleasantly of everybody, but with all the hopes of cheerfulness and all the present comfort of delay, there was still such an evil hanging over her in the hour of explanation with Harriet, as made it impossible for Emma to be ever perfectly at ease. Chapter 17 Mr. and Mrs. John Knightley were not detained long at Hartfield. The weather soon improved enough for those to move who must move, and Mr. Woodhouse, having, as usual, tried to persuade his daughter to stay behind with all her children, was obliged to see the whole party set off, and return to his lamentations over the destiny of poor Isabella, which poor Isabella, passing her life with those she doted on, full of their merits, blind to their faults, and always innocently busy, might have been a model of right feminine happiness. The evening of the very day on which they went brought a note from Mr. Elton to Mr. Woodhouse, a long, civil, ceremonious note, to say, with Mr. Elton's best compliments, that he was proposing to leave Highbury the following morning in his way to Bath, where, in compliance with the pressing entreaties of some friends, he had engaged to spend a few weeks, and very much regretted the impossibility he was under, from various circumstances of weather and business, of taking a personal leave of Mr. Woodhouse, of whose friendly civilities he should ever retain a grateful sense, and, had Mr. Woodhouse any commands, should be happy to attend them. Emma was most agreeably surprised. Mr. Elton's absence just at this time was the very thing to be desired. She admired him for contriving it, though not able to give him much credit for the manner in which it was announced. Resentment could not have been more plainly spoken than in a civility to her father, from which she was so pointedly excluded. She had not even a share in his opening compliments. Her name was not mentioned, and there was so striking a change in all this, and such an ill-judged solemnity of leave-taking in his graceful acknowledgments, as she thought at first, could not escape her father's suspicion. It did, however. Her father was quite taking up with the surprise of so sudden a journey, and his fears that Mr. Elton might never get safely to the end of it, and saw nothing extraordinary in his language. It was a very useful note, for it supplied them with fresh matter for thought and conversation during the rest of their lonely evening. Mr. Woodhouse talked over his alarms, and Emma was in spirits to persuade them away with all her usual promptitude. She now resolved to keep Harriet no longer in the dark. She had reason to believe her nearly recovered from her cold, and it was desirable that she should have as much time as possible for getting the better of her other complaint before the gentleman's return. 
She went to Mrs. Goddard's accordingly the very next day, to undergo the necessary penance of communication, and a severe one it was. She had to destroy all the hopes which she had been so industriously feeding, to appear in the ungracious character of the one preferred, and acknowledge herself grossly mistaken, and misjudging in all her ideas on one subject, all her observations, all her convictions, all her prophecies, for the last six weeks. The confession completely renewed her first shame, and the sight of Harriet's tears made her think that she should never be in charity with herself again. Harriet bore the intelligence very well, blaming nobody, and in everything testifying such an ingeniousness of disposition and lowly opinion of herself, as must appear with particular advantage at that moment to her friend. Emma was in the humour to value simplicity and modesty to the utmost, and all that was amiable, all that ought to be attaching, seemed on Harriet's side, not her own. Harriet did not consider herself as having anything to complain of. The affection of such a man as Mr. Elton would have been too great a distinction. She never could have deserved it, and nobody but so partial and kind a friend as Miss Woodhouse would have thought it possible. Her tears fell abundantly but her grief was so truly artless that no dignity could have made it more respectable in Emma's eyes, and she listened to her and tried to console her with all her heart and understanding, really for the time convinced that Harriet was the superior creature of the two, and that to resemble her would be more for her own welfare and happiness than all that genius or intelligence could do. It was rather too late in the day to set about being simple-minded and ignorant, but she left with every previous resolution confirmed of being humble and discreet and repressing imagination all the rest of her life. Her second duty now, inferior only to her father's claims, was to promote Harriet's comfort and endeavour to prove her own affection in some better method than by matchmaking. She got her to Hartfield and shewed her the most unvarying kindness, striving to occupy and amuse her, and by books and conversation to drive Mr. Elton from her thoughts. Time, she knew, must be allowed for this being thoroughly done, and she could suppose herself but an indifferent judge of such matters in general, and very inadequate to sympathize in attachment to Mr. Elton in particular, but it seemed to her reasonable that at Harriet's age, and with the entire extinction of all hope, such a progress might be made towards a state of composure by the time of Mr. Elton's return, as to allow them all to meet again in the common routine of acquaintance, without any danger of betraying sentiments or increasing them. Harriet did think him all perfection, and maintained the non-existence of anybody equal to him in person or goodness, and did, in truth, prove herself more resolutely in love than Emma had foreseen. But yet it appeared to her so natural, so inevitable, to strive against an inclination of that sort unrequited, that she could not comprehend its continuing very long in equal force. If Mr. Elton, on his return, made his own indifference as evident and indubitable as she could not doubt he would anxiously do, she could not imagine Harriet's persisting to place her happiness in the sight or the recollection of him. Their being fixed, so absolutely fixed, in the same place, was bad for each, for all three. Not one of them had the power of removal or of effecting any material change of society. They must encounter each other and make the best of it. 
Harriet was the father unfortunate in the tone of her complaints at Mrs. Goddard's. Mr. Elton being the adoration of all the teachers and great girls in the school, and it must be at Hartfield only that she could have any chance of hearing him spoken of with cooling moderation or repellent truth. Where the wound had been given, there must the cure be found, if anywhere. And Emma felt that, till she saw her in the way of cure, there could be no true peace for herself. Alrighty. Good chapters here today. So much self-reflection. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you're enjoying it. Um, yeah. And uh, we will be carrying on with Emma here next week. But I do need to give a huge shout out to our patrons, to uh, Etiosa, to Renee, Mike, and Corky. Thank you guys so much for your uh, donations to the podcast. It makes all the difference in the world. And I really, really, really appreciate it. If you want to become a patron, there's some cool perks there as well as free merchandise uh, that you can get. Just go to Another World Audiobook. Books.com. Click on support the podcast and uh, you'll see all the different levels that you can do. You can give as, as much or as little as you want and every little bit goes to helping me continue to produce uh, what I hope are awesome audiobooks for you to listen to. So go to anotherworldaudiobooks.com, check it out and uh, yeah, see what, see what you want to do. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Thanks for sharing the show and we will catch you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Carl. Hi. Carl needs a website for his business. I sell the world's finest flavored toothpicks. But sadly for Carl, he doesn't know all the techie, complicated website stuff. So he's just out of luck, and his business is doomed to fail in this digital age of... Um, actually, I got my website set up super fast and easy with Invicta.services. You... What? Yeah, it was super easy. I just picked the style I liked, made a few quick, simple customizations, and bam! Awesome website where I can sell my flavored toothpicks. But that's, well... Amazing? I was going to say, probably expensive. Actually, getting a website with Invicta starts at only $24 per month. $24 per month? That's less than what I spend on vocal creams per month. It's awesome. It gets you website hosting, a beautiful, professionally designed, customizable template, ongoing site maintenance, regular WordPress plugin, and template updates. I don't say this often. But, wow. I know, right? Invicta.services, a simple, affordable way to get a beautiful, professional website for your business. Just go to Invicta.services to launch your website today. That's Invicta, I-N-V-I-C-T-A dot services. Invicta.services, a professional website, headache-free. And just for Another World Audiobooks listeners, go to Invicta.services and then enter the code ANOTHERWORLD to get your first month free. That's right, go to Invicta.services and enter ANOTHERWORLD as your coupon code to get an entire month free and get started with your professional website at Invicta.services.